Greetings from Parkview Field, where we're inside of two months until opening day here on Monday, April 13th. And while the sun shines on the diamond outside on a 30-40 degree afternoon, it's a special off-season Tin Caps podcast. I'm John Nolan, the team's play-by-play broadcaster, and our guest today is Tim Tassler. He's a sales manager at APT Manufacturing Solutions over in Hicksville, Ohio, and on top of that... He's also the chair of the Sabre Kikianga chapter of Fort Wayne. Sabre standing for Society of American Baseball Research. So not only is Tim an avid baseball fan, he's also an avid researcher and a historian. Among the areas he's studied over the last five plus years, he's done extensive research on the history of African American baseball in Northeast Indiana. So with this being February, apropos of Black History Month, we thought this would be a good time to chat and learn from Tim, who's previously shared his knowledge with not only folks here in Fort Wayne, but in other cities like Indianapolis and Detroit. Tim, thanks so much for stopping by here at Parkview Field and joining us. Uh, We have a lot to learn from you. Let's start with this, though. What led you to begin your research on this topic? John, it's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate you uh, asking me to come. Uh, It kind of started about six years ago. I was uh, attending my very first Sabre meeting and asked somebody, hey, that sign you see at Parkview Field, anybody know about the... uh, Fort Wayne Colored Giants or black baseball in in general here in Fort Wayne and I got a bunch of blank stares and and really nobody nobody knew who who what where when or how or any of that stuff so I took it upon myself to let's see what I can find out so I used the dates that were on the sign and kind of expanded from the beginning to the end yeah and for those who aren't familiar here at Parkview Field going into season number 12 We'll have a brand new HD video board this season. By all means, a very modern facility. I think a neat aspect of the ballpark, though, is that it does pay tribute to Fort Wayne's rich baseball history, which goes all the way back to the Fort Wayne Kikiangas, who played the first professional baseball game in 1871. So if you're here on the concourse, every single section sign also has an accompanying sign that touches upon the baseball history in Fort Wayne, whether it's teams of the past or influential individuals. And then there are also some cool pictures up uh, in the ballpark suite level. So you're referencing on the first base side of the ballpark, there is a sign uh, in recognition of the Fort Wayne Color Giants, who are not the only team, though, that once played here around these parts. Uh, and that's something that you learned along the way. Uh, just take us through, though, how you went about discovering this history because I think in this day and age we often assume we want to learn something straight to Google boom a lot of information uh, is spit out at us and it's a matter of just trying to to sort through an abundance of info but that's not the case with this topic so how did you go about your research well I I, like I said I started with the uh, dates that were on the sign so that was a good point because I knew at least they were mentioned in those years and then I kind of expanded in going backwards and uh, knocked off five years at a time. I used a lot of uh, newspapers.com which uh, covers the Fort Wayne paper until 1923 but then once I got to a a dead end with that I then uh, turned around and went to the library and just started looking at old newspapers. Got those uh, 
got those out and just started looking, taking notes, taking pictures of, of particular articles or anything that I found and just kind of assembled from there. And I went back until I didn't really just didn't find anything else. And uh, I think that took me back to uh, 1884, which was the first mention of black baseball here in Fort Wayne. And not to go uh, too deep into the, the technical side of things here, but it's not like you're flipping through the actual newspaper pages then when when you're going that deep into the archives. So what what is the process for simply unearthing that information? It's just any mention of baseball, so I kind of zeroed in on that. Uh, the sports page was about one or two pages at that point. It was a daily paper, so it made it a little easier, um, but it could... Uh, article could appear in the wintertime it could appear in the springtime so i just had to keep my eyes peeled and it's something that you can't spend a lot of time at because your your eyes will go go wonky on you so you just got to kind of look for those key words that you see and and you'll pick them out and and it, after a while it got kind of easy once to once you see some you'll you'll start picking them up a lot faster mm-hmm. so again the the color giants which was sort of the basis for this a, a team that was uh, in existence in the 1920s but you just mentioned the history goes back even further than that so what was sort of the infancy uh, as we as we know through through you and some other researchers of uh, black baseball here in the area black uh, black baseball started the first mention in the newspaper was 1884 and then as it kind of progressed uh, the next mention was in 1893 when uh, all, all the employees at the Wayne Hotel, which is down on the landing, which turned into the Rosemarie, which burned down. But the Wayne Hotel was a very high-end hotel, and there were a lot of black players that came out of there. They formed teams, a couple teams, a couple leagues. They played over in Lakeside Park. So that was uh, kind of the, the beginnings of it, of, of any type of organization. And then as they, uh, as they went forward, they got more teams, got more players, and, and it really became something that was kind of uh, highly, highly attended by folks in town here, just kind of checking it out and spending some time on the weekends at the park. Where would they play? Uh, usually Lakeside Park was the number one or the beginning of where they started to play. And then as it migrated, the Fort Wayne Color Giants and all the uh, the other teams ended up playing at League Park, which was over by uh, Headwaters Park. Not sure if you've come across this in your research, but I'd imagine this was probably uh, pretty standard in cities across the country at that time. Uh, hard to believe, but given segregation back then, uh, I suppose it was it was normal to have not only just uh, your regular white team and then also a team of African-Americans. Yes, very true. Uh, there's a lot of what they term town teams, and uh, throughout my research I found that uh, Peru, Indiana had a black team. Uh, up in Angola they had a black team. I mean, there was quite a few uh, small towns in the area that ended up having, having black teams that played. And would the team in Fort Wayne also draw players from outside of just uh, Fort Wayne? It depended. Uh, the Fort Wayne colored Giants typically were running short on pitchers. They needed pitching and catching. That was one of the weak positions they had, and they would always contact one of the better known and one of the better teams in uh, in the Negro Leagues were the uh, Indianapolis ABCs. So they would constantly contact them to see if they could borrow some pitching to play the local semi-pro teams here. So uh, that that brought some some really good players in. Um, so it, it was something that, that, that they tried. Sometimes they got response, sometimes they didn't. Mm-hmm. Okay, so some follow-ups to that. Uh, in terms of the competition, who were they playing against? 
typically when the Giants started, they played other local town teams. They traveled to Hicksville, Ohio, Harlan, Indiana, Butler, Indiana, Garrett, Kendallville, Angola, Fremont, uh, down to Huntington, Roanoke. They played Roanoke quite a bit. They uh, they went to uh, Bluffton, Decatur, places like that. So it was typically town teams, but as it reached the 20s, you had Negro League teams, which were on the 100-year anniversary of, of the founding of the Negro League. Um, you had Negro Leagues coming to Fort Wayne to play, and the Fort Wayne Colored Giants would grab a game with them. While, they, while you're in town, would you play us while the Negro League team was playing the local semi-pro or the best team here at Fort Wayne? Hmm, yeah, so present day, Fort Wayne's a minor league city with the Tin Caps being affiliated with the San Diego Padres. So back then... In a way, would you describe the Color Giants and some of these other teams that we'll touch upon as sort of a minor league squad for the Negro League? Yeah, it was a lot of local uh, local star athletes that went to Central High School or the high schools in the area. And, uh, I mean, they, they played good quality baseball. Yeah, and so you mentioned how they played against some Negro League teams. And not only that, I guess one of the things that sort of is a headline of the history for African-American baseball here in Fort Wayne is that the city actually hosted uh, a Negro League World Series game, right? Correct. Yeah. It was back in uh, 1928 when the uh, one of the things that, that you saw in travel was that uh, the, the Negro League teams tra- followed by train, traveled by train, and uh, they would come to uh, through Fort Wayne from Pittsburgh, Chicago, and that's how that game came up. I'm sorry, 19... 19- 1932 is when they hosted the game. They hosted the fourth game of the Negro League World Series. It was between the uh, Pittsburgh Gray or the Homestead Grays, who played out of Pittsburgh, and the Chicago Giants. Fort Wayne hosted the fourth game of that World Series. And since the train traveled from Pittsburgh to Chicago, Fort Wayne was a natural uh, stopping point for them. And uh, Fort Wayne hosted that game, the fourth game at League Park, down which you would consider to be uh, Headwaters Park today. That's wild, and it's also uh, funny considering how a few years ago when you had the Cubs and the Indians uh, in their World Series, I think there were some people joking, oh, Fort Wayne's a natural midpoint between Cleveland and Chicago. They should play a World Series game here, and uh, certainly a different era, but in a way something that actually had precedent. Right, absolutely. There was also another game that was was hosted here in 1937, but the uh, game, it was between uh, another World Series game. It would have been the second World Series game in 37 between the Kansas City Monarchs and the Chicago Americans. American Giants. That game, unfortunately, was rained out. Mm. So when you're talking about the Negro Leagues and they're the height of it with World Series games, perhaps overlooked when we talk about Fort Wayne's history, because I know you know one kind of fun fact or tidbit that comes up is that you had uh, the likes of Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig uh, barnstorming back in, in the late 20s, and they made visits here to Fort Wayne, but they would not be the only ones who are currently in Cooperstown in the Hall of Fame who've played here. Well, there's there's quite a few. Uh, to play with a Fort Wayne-based team in 1928, you would have had uh, a gentleman playing for the Fort Wayne Colored Pirates named Smokey Joe Williams. Uh, Williams would have been in his early 50s by now, but was referred to as probably one of the best Negro League pitchers. He played for the Fort Wayne Colored Pirates uh, for the first part of that season, and he was a stalwart in the Negro Leagues. Mm-hmm. And so now with the uh, the Colored Pirates, and my understanding of just 
Fort Wayne's overall baseball history when you go back there to the late 1800s, the early 1900s. Teams were sort of in and out, and every decade there was maybe another professional or semi-pro team that popped up. There wasn't the longevity that we've become accustomed to uh, in this day and age where the Tin Caps, previously the Wizards, rooted since 1993 and a a long history uh, expected yet to come. Uh, Different back then for a myriad of reasons. Uh, So about how many teams are we talking about kind of coming and going? Well, in the Negro Leagues, uh, uh, of Negro League teams, there was probably the majority of them came here. I know that... uh, uh, Jim Thorpe brought a team through here, which was uh, back in the mid-20s, I believe, 26-27. He brought a team. There was also uh, Rube Foster, who was one of the founders of the Negro Leagues. Uh, he was in Fort Wayne frequently. He was the one that supplied all the players to the Fort Wayne Colored Pirates in 1926 to 1929. That was a team that brought, uh, like I said before, Smokey Joe Williams. Also brought... Uh, a gentleman by the name of Normal Tweed Webb, which turned out to be, he, that was his only year of playing professional baseball, was in 1926, but uh, he turned out to be the Negro League historian. So he had a lot to do with the Negro League Museum, and he played his only year of professional baseball here in Fort Wayne with the Colored Pirates. And again, this is all information that you were really disseminating from mentions in the newspapers? Yes, yes. Yep, and talking to a couple people. There's still a couple people around that remembers them being here, but they don't remember much specifics. So, um, you know, like finding Smokey Joe Williams, that was kind of, when I was doing my research, that was kind of an aha moment. Um, The other aha moment I had was uh, my relative, who was a pitcher, left-handed pitcher for the uh, Lincoln Lifers, who was one of the the better semi-pro teams here in town uh, in the late teens and early 20s. Uh, he ended up pitching for the Fort Wayne Color Giants. So uh, Fort Wayne was an early integrator of uh, whites and blacks playing on the same team. Saul White played on an all-white team. Uh, my relative pitched for the Fort Wayne Color Giants. Um, there was two players, uh, George Mitchell and Ron Scott, who were black. The uh, semi-pro team at the time back in the 30s from the Berghoff Brewery. They were the best semi-pro team here in town. They could not find a center fielder and a first baseman, and they signed two two black players to play for them. So Fort Wayne was a very early integration uh, town that uh, that really grabbed hold and and understood that uh, uh, just the understanding of of players playing together and and people going out to see them. Yeah, there are multiple decades before Jackie Robinson would break Major League Baseball's color barrier. Uh, with the uh, Brooklyn Dodgers at the time. So that's pretty cool to learn about uh, as part of this history for Fort Wayne. As you're going through your research, uh, what were some other things that really stood out to you? What are some some stories that are interesting to hear? Well, uh, probably one of the neater stories was in 1923 uh, during the Negro League, uh, for the early years of the Negro League, uh, the, the St. Louis Stars were going to Detroit. Uh, and uh, they stopped in Fort Wayne. They played uh, the Fort Wayne Color Giants, and I believe they also played the Lincoln Lifers at the time in a doubleheader before heading to Detroit to play in a Negro League game. Um, and one of the mop-up pitchers in, 
in the four wing color giants I, if i remember the score right it was about 14 to 1 that they were defeated but the mop up pitcher for the st louis team was cool papa bell who was a young 18 19 year old who uh, was a backup player but uh they didn't want to waste their arms so they threw bell up on the on the mound to uh, finish off the giants so i thought that was kind of a neat story uh the other story was a uh as I mentioned before, Rube Foster was a, a supplier to players for the Fort Wayne Color Giants. He was all he was always uh, looking for players, and uh, back in back around that period of time, there was a guy that was in prison named Roy Tyler. Uh, he was in prison down in Leavenworth, and also Jack Johnson, the boxer, was also uh, in Leavenworth as well. He knew Rube Foster. And Roy Tyler played center field for the prison team, so he was uh, he was kind of a, a guy that you wanted to see play. Johnson told Rube Foster. Rube Foster came down to Leavenworth in Kansas, went to the prison, saw Tyler. He signed uh, paperwork to be what they termed at that time your first friend, which would allow him to Tyler to come out, and he came to Fort Wayne to play with the colored colored pirates so he ended up in the three years that he was here up until 29 he ended up being the center fielder and manager of the four wing colored pirates so i thought that was kind of an interesting story wow yeah no doubt and uh curious were, were guys making any money at all do you know they made a percentage of the gate how much that was i don't i haven't found anything where uh it said how much they actually made individually they obviously didn't do it full time they played on the weekends for the majority of the time. Every once in a while, they'd play during the week, but it wasn't wasn't very often. So definitely a different type of scene than again what we're accustomed to present day right. with uh, with the Tin Caps here, minor league baseball being a seven day a week thing right. uh, throughout the spring and the summer. How about were the the colored Giants and the uh, the colored Pirates there? So they were operating concurrently for a while. Yes, yes, they were. Um, they were the colored pirates players like i said were supplied by rube foster so that would have been probably a little better team as far as the quality of play but the fort wayne colored giants went from 1908 to 1951 so they use typically local players unless they've got a battery they they may bring a battery from the indianapolis abcs but other than that they were predominantly local people uh, the Fort Wayne Colored Pirates have used very few local people, maybe one or two. They would all be players, professional players, players that didn't make the Negro Leagues. Rube Foster would send them to Fort Wayne so they could play. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, there, there's a story, and I'm not sure if your uh, research would validate this or uh, perhaps dismiss it as a myth that's uh, been told over time, but uh, a story goes that the Color Giants had a trip to Pittsburgh in which they were traveling there by train. And uh, along the way or on the the way back from Pittsburgh, the, the train broke down late 20s. And so, you know, rather than uh, get transportation uh, fixed and addressed, some guys just decided that they'd wind up uh, really making their camp there in the Pittsburgh area, uh, which... Obviously, it's just hard to hard to believe uh, in this day and age, but you understand the reasoning for it back at the time. Uh, is that a true story, uh, to your knowledge? I I know the team traveled. Um, the dates that I see, or the or the research that I saw, I don't see a bus trip or a train trip in 1929. I did, however, see in 1928 
that some players ended up in Pennsylvania. How they got there, I don't know. They could have very well been playing in 1928, and however their their bus or train or whatever stopped running, or they all stopped and ended up in that area. But I did see that there was a mention in a couple of newspapers in the state of Pennsylvania, and maybe in the state of New York as well, that uh, they referred to a couple of players, and they had said that they were uh, they were former Fort Wayne Color Giants. Wow, it's pretty incredible. And about what's your understanding of the role that these African American based teams played in the Fort Wayne uh, community, especially among local African Americans? Well, I, it was very well attended. Uh, Any time they ever played on Sunday at League Park, they typically drew what the what the newspaper would refer to as a mixed crowd. Uh, both blacks and whites would watch the games together. Uh, they drew about 2,500 to 3,000, which was pretty close to the capacity of League Park, so it was very popular. Um, I know in the newspaper articles that some of the players, uh, when there was a game, when the Colored Giants or the Colored Pirates were going to play, the newspaper would refer to those players. Um, a couple of them, uh, there was a gentleman, uh, B. Selden, out of Van Wert. Uh, he was a well-known Negro League player. Uh, he was very well-liked in Fort Wayne, so the newspaper would promote that he was going to be playing for the Colored Giants, so they felt that that was uh, an improvement in uh, in attendance. So that was that was very good, but one of the things that uh, our Sabre group, a couple of, couple meetings ago, we had uh, Mitch Lutzke, who wrote a book on the Page Fence Giants out of Michigan, Hillsdale, Michigan. Um, one of the things that the, that the owner of the Page Fence Giants, uh, when they would travel, he put them in a train. He bought them a train car. So they would have a place to stay everywhere they went. And typically that was used if they ran into problems trying to find a place to, to stay the night if they played in a certain town or not. And one of the things that Mitch mentioned during his research, he found that uh, when they came to Fort Wayne, they very seldom pl- they, they very seldom played in the train or stayed in the train car. There was always hotel rooms here in Fort Wayne, so that that kind of leads me to believe that Fort Wayne was pretty hospitable to black teams coming. Mm-hmm. Certainly, uh, glad to hear something like uh, that as as far as the legacy of the city goes. Any other uh, notable stories or influential uh, characters uh, really pop up or, or stand out in what you were uh, uncovering? Well, I, I I think some of the some of the ones that kind of surprised me were, uh, if you'll remember, there was a team called the uh, Indianapolis Clowns. They kind of dressed up in clown outfits. Um, Fort Wayne Colored Giants didn't do anything like that, but they did have acts that would play between innings, uh, similar to uh, what you see now at ball games. Uh, they've had jugglers. some would certainly describe some minor league teams nowadays uh, dressing like clowns themselves. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's probably very true. But they would, uh, yeah, they'd have singers. Uh, one of the owners of the Colored Giants, George Wilson, at the time was in a band. Um, and uh, they would play between innings or pre-game, post-game. Uh, they would also have jugglers, tumblers, things like that. So those those also took took place while they were at the show. A number of games that they would play on the road were games that they uh, they would play maybe like a 
I guess you'd refer to it as kind of the Three Rivers Festival time frame. Each town had a festival, and usually that was a big attraction, was having a ball game. Hey, the local players are going to play the Colored Giants. They're going to play one of the teams from Fort Wayne. So that was that was pretty uh, pretty regularly done. And with all this, uh, again, I understand that you really had to, to – and you still are digging. It's nothing uh, necessarily uh, – comes uh comes across easily and it's sort of like solving a puzzle is there anything that you recently have learned something about but feel like there there could be more that uh you're still seeking to uh discover i'm i'm trying to seek family members uh who had relatives that played um i've contacted a couple um and I'm trying to look for players, uh, maybe pictures, maybe pictures of players in their Fort Wayne uniforms. Uh, that would be a nice find. Those are those are tough to find. Very, uh, very difficult to find anybody that's got any mention of them. Right. In my understanding, too, uh, in terms of, of the history of African American baseball, is that really once Jackie Robinson broke the the color barrier for Major League Baseball, and uh, soon after, you know, was not alone there. In some ways, that wind up being more or less the uh, the conclusion of the era of community black teams it was it was uh and one of the things that fort wayne kind of benefited from those black teams being disbanded were that the good semi-pro teams if you can uh refer to what john had mentioned about the signs here at parkview field if you remember the uh, ge club the voltman uh if you remember the uh, Capehearts. uh they employed a lot of Negro League players. They took those. Um, I know that Lester Lockett played for the GE Club. Uh, Pat Scattleberry played for North American Van Lines. Wilmer Fields played for uh, Allen Derry. Chuck Harmon played here for uh, GE back in '48. Uh, Jim Lamarquois was a was a big uh, contributor to the uh, amateur National League champ or the National Championship team uh, that won the World Series. He was a big contributor. So, I mean, there, there's been a lot, and Fort Wayne benefited from those. Uh, and Bill Ricks was another one. He was the uh, 1949 World Series MVP for the Fort Wayne Voltman. So uh, Fort Wayne benefited from a lot of those players. And I've talked to some of the people who hosted those players while they were here in Fort Wayne. They, they lived with uh, teammates. And they said that uh, to everyone that I've talked to, they said they're just great guys. They just wanted to play baseball and, and enjoy what they were doing. So it was really, it was really nice. Mm-hmm. And this has been a, a labor of, of love for you. And are you still uh, intent upon trying to learn it as much as you possibly can? Yeah, still trying to uh, find players, find little avenues of uh, of little tidbits that I run across, you know, those aha moments. Uh, probably one of my recent ones was uh, finding out that Jesse Owens was uh, the owner of the Toledo Crawfords. Hmm. And he made two present. He, he came twice to Fort Wayne, 1940-1944, and during the game uh, between innings, he would race uh, either players from the opposing team or even fans out of the stands. Uh, he would in a foot race. So. About how old was he at this time? Oh, boy. I don't know. He had to well, be up there. He had to be up there. I guess uh, by the time of the 40s, yeah, he would have been probably 40 or, or so himself, right? Yeah, at least. Yeah. Hmm. While, we, while we're talking about legends, I know we weren't necessarily planning uh, on talking specifically uh, about Jackie Robinson, but I was just thinking because one of my favorite photos here at Parkview Fields is one uh, celebrating Mr. Mac, Dale McMillan, the founder of the Wildcat Little League. And so there was a, a day in the early 60s 
and this was shortly after Jackie Robinson had retired, that he made a visit here to Fort Wayne alongside uh, one of his former Dodger teammates, Carl Erskine, uh, an Indiana native, and then a couple other Hall of Famers uh, joined them there that day, and Ted Williams of the Red Sox and Bob Feller of the Indians. Um, and I've had the chance of meeting some uh, some folks here at Parkview Field who were kids back then and were there for that uh, Mr. Mac day. And remember Jackie Robinson talking to uh, the kids, and I know he came here to Fort Wayne another time and spoke at uh, Central Catholic uh, High School. Uh, you ever come across anything else with some of the the more notable uh, black baseball players and, and leaders uh, of decades past? No, just the uh, the mention that uh, uh, there was a couple of uh, biographies that came out that uh, and a couple black. Uh, black biographies of players and uh they had mentioned fort wayne mentioned coming to fort wayne mentioning the hospitable fans and and uh, just playing some good baseball so it's it's a great history um still to uncover more hopefully and uh hopefully we can uh we can put this into some kind of archive and and make sure people in the future all see it yeah i was going to ask uh beyond what you're doing right now by researching and then making presentations to small groups. Do you have any plans for writing a book or something along those lines? Well, we'll, we'll assemble it. I've, I've talked to a couple people within the Sabre group. Um, typically they don't do anything with what they term town teams, but, um, there's a lot of rich history here. I mean, it involves Negro Leagues. There was uh, Fort Wayne hosted Negro League games, just standard games between two Negro League teams, uh, not involving Fort Wayne teams. So that happened quite frequently. It also happened in Muncie and Richmond and those areas like uh, around here. So that was, uh, but as far as a book or as far as I just want to make sure that, 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 that the history is told correctly and, and, and everything's found out about it. That's the key to all of this. Now, kudos for uh, for all the work that you have done and will continue to do. And when, when you step back, other than the importance, right, of those of us today understanding, knowing the history of the past, but what do you view as uh, as the legacy of African American baseball here uh, in this region? It's it's a it's a truly rich history. As I went through this, um, you know, you hear a lot of. They weren't covered very much. You're not going to find very many newspaper articles. You're not going to find much on them. And as I started digging into this, I've got, you know, if I think at what I've got at home, there's probably 16 binders that I have of articles and pictures and things that I've ran across and found, had people send me. So it's just a truly rich history of of who's been here, who came here, who played here. And uh, just it goes along with the rest of the history of baseball. Right, and then uh, even when you, you consider the evolution uh, for the better, the progress that's been made, uh, fitting perhaps at the first Fort Wayne player in the minor league baseball franchise's history with the Wizards who would go on to make the major leagues was Latroy Hawkins uh, from the 93 Wizards a couple years later in the big leagues. And when you look back here over the last 25-plus uh, years of who some of the most successful players have been from the the Wizards and the Tin Caps, a lot of them African-American players. Torrey Hunter going back to the Wizards era. And here in recent years, too, the likes of uh, Joe Ross and Malik Smith, uh, and the list goes goes on and on um anything else you'd want to uh make sure we uh touch upon uh, in terms of your your research uh just that if you find anything 
check our Facebook page out with uh, Sabre. We've got a Facebook page for the Kikianga chapter of Sabre. If you'd like to join that, attend to a meeting. If you just want to sit around and it's just a bunch of guys sitting around talking baseball. Uh, we have a lot of fun. We had John there last time uh, talking about some uh, some information that he had. So uh, we're always open to presentations or just sitting around in a round table just talking, talking baseball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how about just to follow up on that for those who don't understand because when Nowadays, when someone hears Sabre automatically in connection with baseball, the mind's going to go towards Sabre metrics yep. and thinking that maybe it's a yeah. group of uh, mathematicians who are sitting down <laughs> and going over formulas to yeah. figure yeah. out how to project, you know, yep. which tin caps players are going to have the more su- most success. And not that there isn't any conversation from time to time uh, about stats because it is so intertwined uh, with how baseball is consumed. But again, Sabre stands for the Society of American Baseball Research. Uh, and so a project like what Tim has done here in uh, looking up all this information on Fort Wayne's African-American baseball history that goes along with projects like going back to the very first professional game that was played here in Fort Wayne in 1871 with the Kikiangas. And for those who've uh, kept up with the news here in the last few years, uh, a great project that Sabre was the driving force behind was uh, rightfully having a monument at nearby Camp Allen Park that's just about a mile to the west of Parkview Field right outside of downtown Fort Wayne off of Main Street. And so um, monument there that commemorates that first game as what the box score on it. A little bit of information about that first game that some uh, scholars would debate whether or not that counts as a major league baseball game. But safe to say the first ever professional baseball game. And so, yeah, Sabre was the ones who made that happen uh, first in sort of correcting the history, right, as there was some some, uh, misinformation or misunderstanding about where the the site for that game was but then when it came to funding uh to raising money to be able to uh install the monument that was something that that saber did and otherwise like you said i mean it's just uh those who are are baseball junkies getting together uh having conversations about contemporary uh topical subjects i had guessed that you know maybe uh an american league team from uh texas uh would come up in conversation uh, the next time that the group meets, but then also the the history both uh, here in Fort Wayne and across the uh, the sport. Very true. And so for you mentioned, there's a Facebook page uh, for the Kikianga chapter of Saber that people can find online, and then also on Sabers and what it's sabr dot org. Correct. Uh, if you go on there, there's a breakdown of how there are Saber chapters in cities all around the country. Although I think it is pretty cool that Fort Wayne has one because while it's uh, standard for your Chicago's, your uh, Detroit's, your big league cities to have chapters, not every single minor league town has one. Uh, and it's great that there's uh, right. people out there like yourself who are, who are sharing your passion uh, for the sport uh, with others. Yeah. It's just uh it's a great group of guys. Uh, I don't think we're as nerdy as the, uh, statistics guys mm-hmm. but i mean we can get there but typically we're just talking about baseball and and history and you know what you've seen uh we've got some great contributors in town that kind of gives great opinions as far as you know we had uh, a raucous uh, conversation on the dh one time mm-hmm. i mean it went on for a couple hours you know pluses and minuses of both um we've had our, our uh, presentations on how does the uh foul territory in a stadium affect hitters so i mean that was something that 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 was uh that was 
turned out to be really an interesting uh, presentation. Yeah, and uh, for anyone especially who would like to uh, to make a presentation on something that they've researched in the past, there there's an open forum. Absolutely. And, uh, and just look at your example where you first talked to uh, – to a small room full of uh, people sharing some of the research that you did. You got that feedback where everyone in the room said, wow, this is uh, incredibly impressive and nobody else knew this before. And I would think that in part inspired you to continue to continue to pry and uh, now move on to, uh, to, to the big time and sharing that uh, knowledge with, uh, with others in, in spots, like we said, such as Indianapolis and Detroit. Right. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, it's interesting. It's interesting to talk to other Saber members to see what they know because there's always somebody that that has a tie to Fort Wayne. It seems like. Well, Tim, anything else before we wrap up here? I think that's it. I appreciate uh, you having me on. Yeah, well, thank you again so much for uh, for sharing your time and your vast knowledge with us. And don't forget, uh, opening day here at Parkview Field is set for Monday, April 13th, when the Tin Caps host the Cincinnati Reds-affiliated Dayton Dragons. Tickets now on sale at tincapstickets.com at the Parkview Field ticket office and by calling 260-482-6400. Well, for our special guest, Tim Tassler, I'm John Nolan saying thanks and so long from Parkview Field in downtown. Fort Wayne. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.